If you would like a free newsletter on this or other subjects, just give us a call at Christian Answers. The phone number is area code 512-218-8022. That's 512-218-8022. Or you could email us at cdebater at aol.com. That's cdebater at aol.com. The Gospel according to Rome is a comparison of um, what the Bible says about uh, Christianity and the basic doctrines uh, of Christ uh, versus what the Roman Catholic Church teaches as found in the New Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, the book is broken up into four areas, uh, salvation, uh, issues of just how do you get to heaven, uh, the mass or worship, the role of Mary, and the subject of authority and the book has about a thousand cross-references to the New Catechism of the Catholic Church showing what the Church teaches and then analyzes it from a biblical perspective. Yeah, the Roman Catholic Church in many of its teachings is very unbiblical in that it's departed from uh, the plain teaching of Scripture. It's taken, uh, uh, it's taken some biblical truths but it's, it's added to it teachings from the traditions of men and in that addition, uh, biblical truth has been distorted and changed. Uh, and so on, on its major doctrines, there, there's hardly a, a, a primary doctrine of the Roman Catholic faith that hasn't been changed and distorted over the last 2,000 years from what Christ originally taught. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that salvation is a lifelong process. It begins with baptism, which the Church describes as initial justification, and then it continues through a lifetime of the reception of the sacraments, performance of good works. Through these means, the Catholic is further justified, uh, however, always in a probationary state with God. Uh, the Catholic never knows uh, will he or she be saved until after death um, when he stands in what's called the particular judgment uh, as taught by the Roman Catholic Church. And so salvation is a process uh, it's a, a, eternal life is a merited reward for cooperating with the grace of God, a grace that's received through sacraments. Now, if I contrast that with biblical Christianity, you know, when uh, Paul was asked by the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. As simple as that. Put your faith in Christ and what he has done and, and God will declare you righteous in his sight. That's biblical justification. And you enter into a relationship with God in Christ that, uh, that cannot change. It's a relationship that is secure in the Savior. And so uh, the Christian rests. He rests in what Christ has done. He's not constantly trying to do something to earn the favor of God. Finally, eternal life, according to Romans 6.23, is the free gift of God. 
It's not an earned reward. So you can see that uh, the difference between Roman Catholic salvation and biblical salvation, in many ways, they're opposites. You know, we're not against good works. I want to make that clear because um, good works are something that's taught uh, in Scripture. Christians should be known by their, their works, and, and we demonstrate our true faith by the fact that we have a changed life and a life that uh, manifests the life of God, a life of love and obedience to His commandments. The problem is when we start uh, equating those good works as part of our standing before God, we start saying that those good works merit us a place in heaven. And so we begin to rely on what we're doing, our good works, to make us right before God and acceptable to Him. At that point, uh, it's really quite offensive to God because even our best, uh, all our righteous deeds are as filthy rags, Isaiah says, and it's, it's still true of the Christian. There's nothing I do that isn't stained in some way by sin uh, which dwells within us. The Roman Catholic error, uh, as regards to salvation, really has its roots in a, in a, a misunderstanding of, of the, the, the depth of sin. Uh, the Reformers described it as the total depravity of man because they could see in Roman Catholicism that the man was always being elevated as this basically good uh, entity that was, whose works could be pleasing to God and acceptable and earn him favor with God. And you know, when we look at the scriptures, you know, Romans chapter 3, for instance, says, There's none righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There's none who does good. There is not, not even one. And when we begin to understand that, that uh, all of us are sinners under the sentence of death, uh, worthy of eternal damnation, that's when we begin to understand that if, if we're going to get right with God, it's going to have to be through a means outside of ourselves not through things I'm going to do, but uh, I need a Savior, and that's where Christ comes in. He's the one who, who gave his life for me, paying my penalty, that I could be accepted uh, before God in him, not in myself. And so when Catholics have this um, incomplete understanding of their sinfulness, and then they embrace an incomplete solution, which is the Roman Catholic way of salvation. Many people really feel that Roman Catholicism has changed significantly, specifically since Vatican II. That a lot of the old traditional teachings that have been criticized for so many years are no longer taught in Roman Catholicism. And uh, I, I think we have to acknowledge that in the last uh, 30 years, Roman Catholicism, especially here in America, has put on a new face. It, has a, it, it is very adept at uh, adapting to the religious climate in which it exists. In America, where evangelicalism, for instance, has been very successful, Roman Catholicism has, be, has taken on some of, of the jargon of the evangelicals. But uh, this is not to say that Roman Catholicism has changed as to its primary doctrines. Indeed, it cannot change because the Catholic Church claims that it's infallible, that, that it can never teach morals matters of faith and morals uh, in error. Anything that it says dogmatically, uh, it claims, comes from God, and God protects it. It's immune to error. So it can't change. Uh, one example might be purgatory, for instance. Uh, people say, oh, well, Catholics don't believe in purgatory anymore. And that's probably a true statement. There are some Catholics who no longer believe in purgatory. 
But that's not the same as to say that the Roman Catholic Church no longer teaches that purgatory uh, is, is a real place where most people will end up. In fact, uh, each year the, uh, the Pope celebrates a Mass for his uh, predecessors, the, the previous two Popes, on the anniversary of the death of the last one, um, presuming that they also are in purgatory. It takes place right now under John Paul II in uh, September of each year. And so, if Catholics no longer believe in purgatory, I think somebody should tell the Pope. Uh, additionally, you go to any Roman Catholic Mass, part of the liturgy of the Mass includes prayers for souls in purgatory. This is just one example of how people say the uh, Catholic Church has changed, when, it, when indeed it really hasn't. R right now in Roman Catholicism, there's a, a huge debate going on amongst Catholics, particularly in um, North America and Europe, uh, as to what extent does the average Catholic have to submit uh, his or her mind to the teachings of the Church? And there, there's a power struggle going on. Uh, according to the Vatican, according to official Roman Catholic doctrines, um, the, the, the Catholic must uh, submit to the authoritative teaching of the Church on any area of dogma, that is, of official teaching, that has been dogmatically or, or officially declared as true. Now, uh, that's not to say that a lot of Catholics ignore that and, and hold views uh, that are very different and adopt views even from different religions, even non-Christian religions, and bring that into their Catholicism. But uh, when you talk about Roman Catholicism, uh, you're talking about the, the teachings of a, of a very uh, well-defined body of uh, doctrines and um, those are not optional. If you want to be a Roman Catholic, uh, you are required to believe in things such as transubstantiation, that the, uh, uh, that the bread actually turns into the body and blood of Christ. You, you have to submit to the uh, authority and uh, infallibility of the Pope and bishops of the Church, the magisterium. Uh, you, you have certain requirements as to attendance at Mass uh, on a weekly basis, uh, and so on. There's many doctrines that are just not optional and practices. M many people, uh, because of, of its age and size and authority that it has in the world today, many people don't realize that in Roman Catholicism uh, there's, a, there's a very deep occultic element. Uh, it's um, it, it can just be seen almost in every practice of the church uh, if you know where to look. Uh, for example, uh, when I was a Roman Catholic and, and even as an altar boy, I knew that uh, in the, uh, the altar plate of the altar, below that were relics, were um, uh, very um, supposedly um, very important articles that had been associated with different saints. Now, I've since come to learn that uh, within every uh, fixed altar of the Roman Catholic Church, by canon law, it is required that there be a little cavity, uh, for instance, called the sepulcher, and on top of that is the altar plate, and above that plate is where uh, the sacrifice of the Mass takes place. Within that cavity, it's required by church law that there be found uh, actually body parts of, of uh, at least two saints, not just a relic such as a, a piece of, of clothing, but actually human body parts. Now, 
just for clarification, in the modern Catholic churches, there's often uh, movable altars, the ones that face the people. You won't find it in those, but you will find it on what used to be the main altar on the back wall, usually, of a Catholic church. Now they say that uh, by putting those parts there in, in the altar, this uh, uh, sanctifies the altar that the uh, holy sacrifice of the Mass may be offered uh, upon uh, this uh, altar. But, but you just you think through, what, what do we have here? We have supposedly uh, Calvary, the, the offering of Christ, is being reenacted, renewed, made alive again, on top of this altar plate, and under it are, are the bones of dead men. And somehow this offering uh, is acceptable to God. Now, again, some of your listeners of this might say, well, I don't see what's the problem with that. But uh, I, I, for some reason, when it comes to Roman Catholicism, we, we use a different standard. If you went down to the local Baptist church and you heard that they were taking bread and wine each week and, and doing it on a table, within which was the thumb of their former pastor and somehow this made it more acceptable to God, you'd say, what kind of an occultic practice is this? But inside that Roman Catholic altar you find not only thumbs but tongues and ears and toes and uh, other body parts and, and uh, you find no such teaching uh, calling for any such thing like this in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, to come in contact, for a Jew to come in contact with a dead body was to be defiled. And so, uh, at least by Jewish law, associating a sacrifice with dead men's bones would be a blasphemous uh, act. It's just one example of, of the occultism in, in Roman Catholicism. Uh, another example is praying to, to Mary, the veneration of Mary. Now, uh, Catholics have some uh, Latin theology, that words that they say this is in worship, it's, it's only a very high form of veneration. But when you go into a Catholic church and you see dear Catholic people uh, spending uh, literally uh, hours before a plaster statue of Mary, kissing her foot, making offerings to her, uh, you just have to ask, you know, is this Christianity or is this paganism? You see... Uh, uh, very similar things in devotion to the saints. You see it in the wearing of a scapula, or a little piece of cloth that Catholics are told by legend that if they die with this on, then Mary will come and rescue them from purgatory on the first Saturday after their death. Uh, well, these superstitious kinds of acts uh, really have their roots uh, in paganism and in the occult, not in biblical Christianity. Catholics today, uh, Catholic apologists today are saying that um, all must submit to the Roman Catholic Church, all Christians, because it's the Church who gave us the Scriptures, that the Scriptures are originated within the Church. They define the, the canon, and thereby they are rightfully the ones uh, to authoritatively teach it and interpret it. Well, I, I understand that is the Roman Catholic position, but... Uh, if we look at uh, what the scriptures say, and even if we look at early church history, uh, you find that the Roman Catholic Church did not give us the scriptures. Uh, God gave us the scriptures. The Holy Spirit gave us the scriptures. The scriptures existed uh, technically long before Roman Catholicism, as it's known today, was ever established. Uh, the, the, the church, the early Christians, did recognize which books were inspired, thus establishing uh, 
recognizing what the canon is. But the Holy Spirit, by inspiring uh, the writers, uh, he determined, uh, he, he made the canon what it is. Uh, the, the scriptures are a gift from God. Now, the Old Testament scriptures coming to us through the, the Jewish people, the New Testament scriptures uh, from Christ uh, through his apostles, not through any church. You know, it's true that not everything Christ did uh, and said is recorded in Scripture. John makes that very clear at the end of his Gospel. Uh, he says that, you know, you couldn't even possibly contain all the, the wonderful events of Christ's life. But in saying that, he, he's not trying to tell us that there are essential teachings of Christ that, uh, that are not included uh, in the Scriptures. In fact, uh, you know, as you look at Christ's walk on the, to the Emmaus, on the Emmaus Road with two disciples after his resurrection, he opened up uh, for them the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And, and he went right through the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, showing that the things concerning himself are found in the Old Testament. John, when he writes his gospel, tells us that the things he's recorded in there uh, he had to leave some things out because Christ's life was too wonderful to record the whole thing in any book. But the things he selected and did include, he included that the reader might believe and believing have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so we could argue that uh, the essence of the essential doctrines of salvation can be found simply in the Gospel of John, that they're all there. There's nothing m missing uh, if, you, if all you had was the Gospel of John. Roman Catholicism teaches that we must, uh, we're, we're required by God to submit to Scripture and tradition. They say that this is even what the Scriptures teach and often refer in this context to 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. And so they say, uh, clearly, there's two fonts of revelation scripture and tradition and Paul here in 2 Thessalonians 2.15 is requiring us to submit to both. Well, a, a more careful uh, reading of this um, uh, shows it's not really talking about what Roman Catholicism is making it to say at all. First of all, uh, Paul is saying that we are to hold to the traditions which you were taught whether by word of mouth or by letter from us, from Paul and from the other apostles. Now, where do we have the teachings of Paul and the other apostles? Well, we have it today in the scriptures. Now, they say that by what he said here, he's establishing a complete separate font uh, of Revelation tradition, with a capital T. They define tradition in the Roman Catholic Church today as a current of truth that has come down through the life experience of the Catholic uh, Church over the last 2,000 years. It's a, uh, a body of truth that even today is unwritten, that exists within the life experience of the practices, teachings of the church. Uh, clearly, that's not what Paul's speaking about here at all. He's talking about his own uh, oral teachings, of which there are no uh, audio recordings uh, that any of us uh, are aware of today. Where do we have them? In the New Testament. A popular argument today of the Catholic apologists is that the, the, the teaching of sola scriptura 
held by Protestants, evangelicals today, that all teaching must be clearly in the scripture. They say even that teaching itself can't be found in scripture. And thereby, sola scriptura self-destructs. If you can't show that the Bible says only the Bible is the source of authority, well then, uh, how can you hold that to be a dogma of the Christian faith? Well, it's kind of a clever argument, but um, the way I would answer it is this. All of us agree that the Word of God is authoritative. We just define the Word of God differently. Um, biblical Christians define the Word of God as Scripture, the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church defines the Word of God as Scripture and tradition. And so we both hold Scripture to be the Word of God and to be authoritative. Consequently, our view is a subset of their view. We both agree that the Bible is God's Word and the Bible is authoritative. They are asserting additional authority for tradition. Now, and in any court of law, it's the one who asserts something that must prove it. What their argument is, prove that only the Bible is authoritative. I say, well, we agree that the Bible is authoritative. You're the one that's asserting authority for tradition. You prove that tradition is authoritative. And if you can't, well, you're left with the, the battle cry of the Reformation, sola scriptura. In that context, the reformers were saying, having thrown out tradition as a source of authority, only scripture is authoritative. Uh, I think really the, the whole argument is it's a, it's a very clever ploy, but not a very fair one. Uh, they know they can't prove tradition, and so they want to make the, the center and focus of debate prove the authority of scripture. Are the traditions of the Catholic Church biblical? You know, if, if you went to the Vatican today and said, I would like to examine a record of the traditions of the Catholic Church, you would be told there is no record. By definition, the traditions of the Catholic Church are unwritten revelation. Revelation received from Christ, passed down in unwritten forms. Now, some of, uh, some of the things contained within tradition have been formulated into uh, doctrines of the church and to council documents, but those things would be an expression of tradition, not tradition itself. They would be, in, in the Roman Catholic theologian's mind, the taking of scripture and tradition, combining them into to dogma. But even today, uh, the totality of tradition is unwritten. And so it, it's very hard for us to say, uh, you know, what it, to what extent is it biblical or unbiblical because uh, they won't even give you a record of it. It's something that's constantly developing, says Vatican II. Now some of the doctrines that have come directly out of tradition are things like the Assumption of Mary, that Mary was taken bodily into heaven uh, at the end of her earthly life. That was declared dogma in 1950. Well, the Bible says nothing about that. The Bible says uh, the wages of sin is death. It is appointed for each man to die. Uh, the Lord told Adam, in the day you sin, you shall surely die. The Catholic Church says, no, Mary didn't die, based on tradition. And there's many other docu doctrines based solely on tradition, purgatory, the Immaculate Conception of Mary, the sacrifice of the Mass, and so on. 
The Catholic Church teaches that Mary is sinless. By that they mean that by a singular act of God, she was preserved from the stain of original sin and was born uh, in a condition that she had no sin and never committed a sin during her earthly life. Well, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is just one example where there's a direct contradiction between what the Bible says and what the Catholic Church says. Bible says all of sin. Church says Mary never sinned. In fact, it calls her the all-holy. Well, which is it? Uh, if you want to follow the traditions of the church, well, then you can accept a teaching like that because that's a teaching that comes directly out of the traditions of Roman Catholicism. If you're going to be a biblical Christian, you have to accept that all have sinned, fall short of God's glory. Catholic Church teaches that Mary uh, was a virgin before the birth of Christ, during the birth of Christ, and even after the birth of Christ. In some miraculous way, she not only uh, conceived, as taught by the scriptures through the power of the Holy Spirit, but she even gave birth to the Christ child without in any way impairing her virginity and remained in that state uh, of virginity uh, afterwards, uh, never had uh, relations with Joseph, her husband. Again, the scriptures contradict this. Uh, I'll just read you a couple. For instance, in John 2.12, it refers to his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, John 2.12. Matthew 12.46 refers to Christ's mother and brothers came looking for him. Matthew 13.55, and his sisters, are they not with us? Are his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, are they not with us? Uh, Acts 1.14, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers were found praying in the upper room. There's many other records like this. 1 Corinthians 9.5 refers to the brothers of the Lord. Uh, Galatians 2.9 refers to James, the Lord's brother, James 1.9 uh, as well. Uh, in fact, e even the, the Greek word for brother, adelphos, it means literally from the same wound. Uh, same womb. Now, Catholics say, well, it's referring to his cousins. And it's true that that word uh, can be used uh, for a lesser relationship for a cousin, but it would be context which would uh, define that that secondary meaning is, is intended, not the primary one of a, a brother or a sister. Uh, the, the verse I like the best, though, is Psalm 69.8, a messianic psalm uh, predicting of the future Messiah. And, and the Lord, uh, through the Spirit, says this, I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. And, you know, in John chapter 7, we see that alienation between Jesus and his brothers, uh, his mother's sons. The assertion the Catholic Church makes concerning Peter is that he was the first pope. Uh, he became, uh, it goes something like this, that in Matthew 16, 18, Christ made him the head apostle. Later, he became the bishop of Rome. And whoever succeeds him today as the bishop of Rome uh, also inherits uh, his position as head of the church on earth. Now, there's just some uh, huge assertions there, none of which have biblical basis. Uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about what did Jesus mean when he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church.
But for sake of argument, let's, let's just give that one to the Catholics for a moment. Let's just say, which I don't believe is true, the proper interpretation, but let's just say that Christ actually made Peter the head of the church, Matthew 16, 18. Now, does that mean that today uh, John Paul sitting uh, in, in the Vatican is the head of the church? First of all, you'd have to prove that by uh, declaring Peter the rock that this made him the head of the church. You'd have to prove that he actually became the bishop of Rome, which neither the Bible nor history supports. In fact, uh, a case can be made, but, but not an absolutely airtight one, that Peter uh, was even in Rome. Uh, but even if he was in Rome, uh, certainly he was not the bishop of Rome, and certainly he did not rule the church from Rome. There's no record either in uh, the scriptures or in history of this. And finally, this concept that whoever today is the Bishop of Rome is his successor. Absolutely no biblical basis whatsoever. And so this, this whole chain has to be proven, not just uh, what Catholic Church is continually asserting, that Peter is the rock upon which Roman Catholicism rests. As Jesus was dying on the cross, um, he said to John, uh, behold your mother, and to his mother, behold your son. Now, the Catholic Church says that with this act, he made Mary the head, uh, the mother of the church, of all the church. Well, again, this is just an example of, of how the Catholic Church takes simple statements of scriptures and expands them into these, uh, these huge doctrines, which then from which come all kinds of other teachings and practices. Uh, clearly, what was happening the Lord knew that he, in moments uh, that he was going to pass from this life. And there at the cross is his mother, whom he loved, and he saw the need for her to be cared for and asked his beloved disciple, John. He's basically asking her, John, take care of my mother. And, and uh, to his mother, John will take care of you. Nothing more. The Catholic Church teaches that uh, the church is necessary for salvation and that outside of the church there is no salvation. Now since Vatican II they've expanded what the church means so that uh, not only uh, Catholics but other Christians as well as uh, Muslims as well as animists as well as God seekers are all somehow part of the church. Uh, but uh, this assertion that the Roman Catholic Church is necessary for salvation flies in the face of the teachings of Christ. In, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Bible points people to salvation in Christ. The church is always pointing people to salvation in itself. That if you want to come to Christ, you must come to the church, to its sacraments, to its priesthood, to its teaching authority. Uh, this contradicts scripture. You, you might ask, well, where do these traditions of the church come from uh, if they're not found in scripture? Uh, the Assumption of Mary, May Dogma in 1950, uh, is a good example to follow how this takes place. That Mary was taken bodily into heaven, no mention at all of this in uh, the scriptures. No mention in the early centuries. You probably have to go about to the 7th century before you start getting church documents that uh, assert this. Well, in, in uh, in the 1940s and the years before that, there began to be a very strong Marian movement within Roman Catholicism. People began to petition the church to honor Mary, uh, to um, 
officially declare that her body did not decay in the grave. This comes from an earlier doctrine of Catholicism, which also comes from tradition, the Immaculate Conception of Mary. It says that Mary was conceived without sin, and if death is the consequences of sin, and she never sinned, well then she shouldn't have decayed. You can see there's kind of a philosophy behind this. So uh, in the 1940s particularly, it was a very strong uh, push by those devoted to Mary in the Catholic Church that the Pope would declare Mary uh, uh, the assumption of Mary. And uh, so they started going back and they found, well, there were some writings in the 7th and 8th century about this and more uh, in the centuries that followed. They had the Feast of the Assumption of Mary in the Catholic Church at this time. They had uh, churches uh, dedicated to the Assumption of Mary. And all these things, they'd say, express the belief in Roman Catholicism that Mary was assumed into heaven. And they would say this teaching uh, must go right back to the beginning and, and be rooted in a historical fact because all these things in the later centuries can be found. And so the Pope was able to uh, infallibly, supposedly, declare as dogma the Assumption of Mary in 1950. So this is how it starts. Uh, uh, practices down through the centuries eventually becoming dogma and the source, church says, is tradition. The biblical concept of, of the church is the body of Christ, the ecclesia. He is the head and we are his body. His body is made up of all true believers. Uh, whether, no matter what denomination they're part of, uh, as, if they're truly born again, they're part of the body of Christ. Uh, sometimes people ask me, well, are there, Catholic, are there Christians, true Christians in the Catholic Church? Well, yes. If they've come to truly know Christ, they're part of his body. Now, Roman Catholicism, by contrast, defines the church as this hierarchical organization on earth with a monarch at the top. This is their own definitions, who is the pope. He, with the other bishops, rule the church. And under them are the people. And uh, this organization has its headquarters in, in Rome, from where all teaching and doctrine and authority uh, comes. Now you can see this is a very difficult, different concept of, of the biblical concept of the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, versus this uh, visible organization, the Roman Catholic Church. What's, what's the harm in adding these traditions to the uh, biblical doctrines of Christianity? Well, some of the, do some of the doctrines of tradition, uh, I guess we'd have to admit within Roman Catholicism, uh, don't affect things that much. But some of them have terribly distorted biblical truth. One example is um, the teaching of the sufficiency of the work of Christ on the cross. How serious are these traditions? Do they, uh, do they undermine uh, fundamental truths? Some, some don't, but, but many do. One example is the sacrifice of the Mass. The Bible teaches that Christ's death on the cross was perfect and sufficient, the once-for-all sacrifice for sins. In Roman Catholicism, based on tradition, uh, the Church says that every Mass is a propitiatory or appeasing sacrifice. It renews and, and reenacts Calvary. And through that action of the priest, God is appeased. He's pacified against the sins of mankind. Well, which is it? Do we have the once for all sacrifice of Christ 
or do we have the millions, literally hundreds of millions of masses offered uh, every year on Roman Catholic altars? Well, the mass, I believe, is undermining that, that wonderful truth that what Christ did on the cross was enough. As he said, it is finished. It's not ongoing. I would say to any Catholic viewing this videotape, to take responsibility for your own soul. Uh, don't just leave it to the church and to the priest hoping that what they have told you is correct. Uh, you have a responsibility to God yourself to pick up the scriptures and to read them and to verify that what you have been taught by, I believe, very sincere people, but maybe wrong, that what you have been taught by the church, whether it's true or not. If the doctrines of Roman Catholicism are true, you should be able to find them plainly taught in the New Testament. But I think you're going to find there for yourself a very different story. Check out our websites, BibleQuery.org. This site answers 7,700 Bible questions. HistoryCart.com. This site reveals early church history and doctrine proving Roman Catholicism is not historically or doctrinally viable. MuslimHope.com. This site is a classic refutation of Islam, a counterfeit religion created by Muhammad. Free newsletters are also available. Hello, this is Larry Wessels with just a quick message to our viewers to check out our main YouTube channel, Sea Answers TV, which stands for Christian Answers Television, where we have all of our over 610 videos posted. By going there, you can see all of our videos organized by playlist, categorized by subjects. Once you scroll down past our Bible Prophecy trailer at the top of the channel page, the playlist begin. You'll see our recent uploads playlist, followed by our most popular videos playlist, followed by our playlist on Jehovah's Witnesses, then Islam, the Muslim religion, then Roman Catholicism, Darwin's metaphysical evolution religion, Seventh-day Adventism, dealing with anti-Trinitarians and early church history, our multiple playlists, which includes God-hating atheists, phony TV preachers and King James onlyists dealing with UFOs, ghosts, spiritual warfare, our radio shows with national Christian authors and our music bids, the black Muslims, Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam, Mormonism, Hell, Lake of Fire, Unpopular Bible Doctrines, Antichrist, Cults, New Age and World Religions. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, and Spanish videos, end times, supernatural prophecies, and tough Bible questions, and our playlist dealing with predestination, Arminianism, and Calvinism. Our YouTube channel is built to help people learn the Bible and defend their Christian faith against false prophets 
that come against it from every side. Jude verses 3 and 4. At the time of this recording, our channel has already been blessed with over 6 million viewings and over 10,000 subscribers.